This is Letting It All Hang Out, the show where we bring together some fabulously talented individuals that make me want to get out, learn more, live life to the fullest, and hopefully inspire you to do the same. Today, I spoke with Kunor Bahal. Kunor is the founder and CEO of Mindhatch, a company that helps solve complex business problems and helps design products, services, and experiences that customers love using their design thinking expertise. Kunor has honed her creative problem-solving skills during her years as a strategy and innovation consultant. With years of experience as an improv comedian and teacher, Kunor brings levity, adaptability, and composure to every experience and is an expert in using improv techniques to enhance collaboration and ideation. Prior to her creative business career, Knur worked also in a nonprofit international development. She is truly a badass and if I were you, I'd listen closely to this episode. Before we jump straight in, I'm going to thank the sponsor of this episode, Naked Warrior Recovery. Naked Warrior Recovery is a Navy SEAL-owned and operated CBD and recovery supplement company that provides high-quality CBD products, greens, supplements, and more. A big reason why I'm a huge fan of Naked Warrior is that they understand that the only way to truly perform at our highest potential is to allow our bodies and minds the opportunity to relax and recover. So, in order to get your a 20% discount on some high quality CBD products, super greens, and more, you can use the discount code Kalani20, that's K-A-L-A-N-I 20 on their website at nw-recovery.com. That's nw-recovery.com. On to the show, baby. Hi, how are you? Hey. Hi. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, I'm excited to chat. Um, I think podcasts are so much fun so yeah so so happy to meet you and um just still kind of like figuring out my setup here in my in my bedroom or my spare bedroom so um but yeah happy to be here thanks for having me yeah of course I'm loving that uh gigantic bookcase behind you oh thanks yeah it is like not really organized but I just love it I actually copycatted a friend of mine in DC she has the exact same bookcase <laughs> and so, like years later I live in Seattle now and I was like, I'm going to get that bookcase. <laughs> I loved it so much. Yeah. That's awesome. You live in Seattle now? Where'd you live I, before? Uh, before in DC. Yeah. Okay. Very yeah, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I used to live in Seattle and then moved over to Southwest Florida. So it's like we oh, wow, walked nice. the, the sides oh, of the US. Yeah. When did you move over to Seattle? Uh, four and a half years ago. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you've been there a while. Yeah, I've been there a little while. Yeah. And I was in DC like for a total of eight years and in Philadelphia for a bit and Grad school in Chicago, college in New York, grew up in Ohio. So I've kind of like, yeah. ever since I left Ohio, I've always been like a city person. So Seattle is the final city that I'm trying out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're like one more and then I'm done. I don't yep. want to- it's like I've reached the end of the road in terms of American cities that I would live in. So th- this is it. This is it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you liked it. That's exciting. Um, yeah. Thank you for being on. I'm super excited to talk to you because it seems like your realm in creativity and just all things free flowing and free thinking and really expansive thinking um, is like your niche. So I'm really excited to talk to you about that um, because it's something that I do for a living as well. It's something that I absolutely love. have been obsessed with ever since I was a kid. So I'm sure that um, this conversation is going to be great. Nice. Awesome. Cool. Well, I mean, let's just dive into uh, really 
I'm most curious, at least about to hear about your um, experience in improv and how that led you to what you do now, because it seems like I've had this theme with a couple other people who are, um, I call them play people, and they are into this like creative field, but then they go into business. And I feel like from an outside perspective, that might seem really strange to other people. So I'd love to hear how that all transitioned and and played out for you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, so my story with improv um, actually kind of like begins before it begins in a, in a weird way. So I was like in college, I was a huge comedy nerd growing up. And so in college, I applied to every single like internship in like kind of like the comedy show field I could and I actually ended up getting working on two times at the late night um, Conan O'Brien show. And the first time I interned there, my sophomore year of college, um, I got um, uh, kind of like inspired, motivated, but basically a fellow intern who was a little bit older than me, she had been taking improv classes. And she came to me and she said, hey, Kenora, I think I really like improv. Like, you should, you should take a class. And and so I, I did. I signed up and I went to that first class. And I was so scared of being bad at something. I left that first class and I never went back. Like, I paid for like eight classes I went to that first class and was totally out of my comfort zone and never went back. And like from the moment I did that, I regretted it. <laughs> you know, and I think it took me, it took me a few years to kind of figure out exactly why I regretted it so deeply. And, and one thing I realized, you know, with the power of hindsight was that, wow, like I didn't, that's not who I wanted to be. I didn't want to be someone who like quit things just because they were bad at them. You know, that, that didn't sit well with me. And I realized that my own perfectionist kind of high achieving tendencies got in the way of me pursuing something that I now know years later, I really, really love, you know? So, so the next step in this, in this story is, you know, eight years after that, um, that quitting of improv, I, you know, was living in DC and I was working in a corporate job. I was working at Deloitte consulting and, and I was still harboring this regret. And I was like, you know what, let me just get the monkey off my back, you know? And I signed up for an inbound class uh, thinking it would be just one class. I won't even do the class show because I don't have any interest in performing. I just want to take the class to like say I did it. But then of course what happened, I fell in love. <laughs> I fell in love with it, you know? And, and like that's kind of been a huge factor in my work over the past like 10 years actually. And so I'd say like through improv, I learned that I could and should kind of like rid myself of my perfectionist tendencies, right? And like embrace being challenged and like still be cool if I'm like bad at something for a little while you know that, that's like part of the fun and so I think it really like it, it kind of happened simultaneously when my own mindset was shifting around to be a bit more of a risk taker to be a bit more experimental in my own life and my own career and so that brings me to my time at Deloitte where like I was working there when I started taking improv classes again and word got out that I was doing improv after hours and my colleagues learned and they were the ones who came to me and they said, Knorr, you know, I've been reading a Harvard Business Review and in Forbes, you know, that improv can be really helpful to business. Like, will you come like do a, a, a workshop for my client team? And so I started doing it kind of internally, like for my colleagues and really loved it. And it was really because of them that I, I saw the application to my work as well. Um, and so, and at that same time period, I was also working in innovation and I saw just like how parallel, nearly identical kind of the tenets and the mindsets for innovation are to improv, you know? So I was like 
learning the skill of collaborative co-creation, you know, in my improv classes and teaching classes and on my teams and learning that so much of that was like part of what the innovation process is, you know? Um, and so I kind of like learned that firsthand. And so, so it's really meant a lot. Like it's been woven in, in my life and, and personally and professionally for a long time. And so when I decided to leave my corporate job and found my own company, Mindhatch, it was kind of a no brainer to, you know, make what I call now organizational improv a part of my, my business. You know, it's one of the, the services that I offer is bringing improvisational skills, behaviors, mindsets, and principles, you know, into the workplace. Wow. That's so cool. It's, I loved how organic everything just happened to play out. And I feel (laughs) like the best things in life probably happen that way. And it's, really cool to hear how that happened and how it played out for you and how it really brought people together. You were like, your coworkers just found out that you were doing improv after work and they were like, whoa, that's really cool. I would love to bring in, you know, that, that skill set or that mindset into our teams. Yeah. Something um, earlier about uh, perfection, the idea of perfection. Mm -hmm. And I feel like as creators, creatives, and even if, you know, you wouldn't classify yourself as a creator or a creative, um, which side note, I think everybody is at least on the inside, right? (laughs) Even if they don't think so. But, but beyond that, if, you know, like we so often are obsessed with like, well, I can't do it because if I fail, like it's really scary. Or if, um, you know, somebody doesn't think it's quite ready or quite good enough, then they're going to judge me. And there's all of this stigma around perfection. And I think it's pretty common now to realize like, well, perfection isn't the end all be all. Um, Nobody's perfect. We can't aim for Mm -hmm. something that really doesn't exist, but yet it still embeds itself into like our psyche. How yeah. do you help people navigate that those waters? Because they're rough and sometimes they they suck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, so I I suppose in my in my work with clients, I I'm not always coaching them through like how to not be a perfectionist, but I will say there's now that you ask the question, there's certainly a through line, you know, between perfectionism and and a lack of desire to take productive risks you know, you know, and so I, in my innovation work with clients, it's a lot around like taking wise, smart, productive risks and like kind of like my like simple definition for what a productive risk is, is something that like, if you take the risk and it fails, you have garnered more information to like make a better decision moving forward, you know? So um, that's kind of how I, I view it in like the, the innovation work that I do. And so you know, to, to tie it back to like my experience in college of like being scared to be bad at improv, you know, like what was the risk? The risk of me being bad at improv was like nothing, <laughs> you know, like the risk of me finishing out the class was like nothing, you know, but to me at that point, the perfectionist in me was so like wounded, you know, that, oh, I don't want to learn. I don't want to learn that I'm bad at something. So I'm just not going to learn period you know, just like an awful way to live, you know, and and I'm so grateful that I snapped out of it, you know, eventually, and so, um, yeah, and so perfectionism is within all of us, you know, it's like we, so many people get trapped, like, living their lives for others, right, or being fearful of change, and so many times that fear is someone else's fear for you, and perhaps not your own, 
you know? And so I think, I think what I can sum up on the perfectionist side is like, let me just examine like, what is the risk? You know, what is the risk of like not being perfect at that thing? You know? And I think that can be really freeing kind of once you understand like, oh, well, the sky's not going to fall if I'm bad at improv, like who cares? <laughs> you know? and so um, I've been doing it for 10 years now and I'm still often bad at it, you know, but that's like part of like the, the love for the process and like the continual learning, you know? So, um, yeah, it's like, a you can never be at your hundred percent potential anyway in improv. You're always kind of seeking that. And I find that addictive in a really good way. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's a really cool perspective to look at it. And I, I, can totally see how that goes really hand in hand. Um, it, it reminds me of, I don't know exactly who came up with this or the term hmm. fear setting. Like what's the worst that could happen? Like yeah. most of the time, the thing that we're imagining in the future is, is so much worse than what the actual risk is. Yeah. By just allowing ourselves to put that out in the open and say, okay, this is the worst thing that could happen. Uh-huh then we realize it's not so bad and totally. it gives us a little bit more of that confidence to just go in and try yeah, it. Definitely. And it reminds me, um, I, I say something similar to, to people that I meet who are also sort of stuck in this maybe perfectionist bubble of it's an experiment. Like you said yeah. earlier, it's data that we're gathering. So whether yeah. it works out in our favor or the way that we expected, great. If it mm-hmm. doesn't, that's okay because now we have information to go off of moving forward, which is really exactly. interesting. And I have a feeling that that sort of ties into how improv plays a part in these um, working either relationships or just workplace settings. And I'm so curious to know how you integrate these improvisational tools uh, to the workplace setting and how that um, has its benefits, whether it's team working or you know, a whole yeah. plethora of other things. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, I think, you know, improv is a way of thinking. It's a way of approaching life and work, you know, Um, even beyond it's like artistic form, you know, so like when when I'm working with clients, uh, you know, an organizational improv session, it's quite often um, focused on developing and building a particular skill that's important for the workplace, you know, so I've work with clients on any number of skills, including, yes, of course, innovative and creative thinking, right? Um, Collaboration skills, communication skills, uh, even customer service skills, leadership skills, you know, so improv as like a method. um, So I use it as kind of like a teaching method, you know, um, to uh, imbue people with these skills. And and it, it works so well because unlike a lot of other corporate training, improv is very experiential. Like you have no choice but to be yourself. And, and in fact, what I tell people um, is like, hey, in this session, I'm not gonna ask you to act at all. Like put that fear aside. No one in here is gonna be performing. The best case scenario is that you all are in this room and you are being more yourselves than you normally would be at work, you know? And so, um, yeah, and so it's really a great kind of practice to not only be your authentic self and like stop overthinking because you can't thinking doesn't help you in the problem, honestly. And so, um, yeah. And so really just kind of taking people through experiential, um, active exercises and then debriefs, you know, to really hit home the takeaways and really kind of come up with ideas for how, when, and where people can kind of actually bring those things into their work, you know, whether it's something as, as, um, uh, abstract as like, 
an individual changing their mindset, you know, or something as tactical as like, oh, that exercise you took us through, I'm going to use that in our next marketing meeting, <laughs> you know, and so it really spans the breadth of, of application from like the individual to the team in that sense. Yeah, that's so cool. What I'm so curious now, what is like off the top of your head, one um, exercise or tool that people can use or take from improv to be able to, whether they have a team or they just want to integrate better and communicate better with their network, right? Like for me, I work um, alone, essentially, but I do a lot of communication with people over the internet. So what's the tool that we can integrate into our own lives to be able to have that sort of either connection or confidence or better communication? Yeah, I'd say I would go with like just the classic yes and mindset, which is really like the cornerstone of improv, right? Um, and um, I will say that I, I work with a lot of clients who they're like, oh yeah, we yes and all the time. And what I find when I finally start working with them is like, oh yeah, you're good at yesing, but you're not good at the and. And that's really important, you know, the, the build, right? right? And so I think the yes and mindset and philosophy of improv is helpful to like every scenario you just mentioned, you know, like even as an individual, you know, like it's a, it's a way to have kind of like a, like we're gonna build this conversation together, you know, like even I think you and I are doing it right now. Like we're having a true exchange and we're adding on to each other's ideas. It's not like while I'm talking, you're just waiting to speak. You're just waiting to say the thing you already planned, right? You're actually like waiting until the end of my sentence to kind of like be inspired, you know, and, um, and ask me your next question. And so I think that's a really helpful um, mindset and approach that anyone can use um, in, in everyday communication for sure. Um, and then of course, like in, in team-based environments, you know, I have a, a, a physical manifestation of the yes and exercise where people are using their bodies and that people find really helpful. And that's usually the one where people are like, oh, wow, I didn't think we could think with our bodies too. And like, that's what I'm going to use, like ideate in my next meeting, you know? And so I think the yes and exercises are the ones that people definitely are kind of like, oh, I'm going to use that either as like a, a frame to use in my, in my work and, or as kind of a, a way to set the tone for like how I want people to show up in a certain workshop or a certain meeting or a certain gathering, you know, like to really set a tone of like, now's the time for us to think in this way. Let's do a little exercise to help it looks cognitively prime people. Yeah. Mm, that's so fascinating. Um, it, it makes total sense that when you incorporate that physical aspect of it, mm -hmm. that it really just clicks for some people or really most people too, because it's like yeah. that brain and body connection. That's Oh, I, I'm now I'm like, ooh, can I take one of these? I need to take an <laughs> improv class. Um, somebody else introduced me to the idea of improv and how it can help in business hmm. a little while back. And his name's Gary Ware. And he oh, is, I know Gary. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's so cool. I'm not surprised. It makes total yeah. sense to know each other. Um, and he was like, you should definitely try out an improv class. And I feel like, at least from my perspective, almost anybody can benefit from it, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, for years I taught like level one and level two improv classes in Washington, DC, and especially in the level one class, you know, you have people taking that class for all sorts of different reasons. You know, like many people are like, I have no intention of making this a part of my life. I just want to get better at public speaking, or I want to be better at communicating, or I just want to like have fun and meet people. So there's a real like variety of reasons that people take that first improv class. You know, for me, when I took my second first improv class, it was like settling an old emotional score for myself. You know, it was like righting a wrong that I did to myself. 
you know um yeah so everyone shows up kind of different intentions and different reasons for why they're doing it and definitely like the getting better at communication or getting more comfortable speaking off the cuff in public situations are very common reasons people people take it mm, i love that i want to switch gears just a little bit because um as i was you know doing my little research on on everything that involves you to to get as much of my brain wrapped around it as possible the word creative design kept coming up and oh. it's a word that you use and i have i haven't really heard it in that um i guess way before but i'm so curious to know like what is what does that creative design really mean to you huh. so where 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 it does ring a bell though is um a certification i got years ago for facilitation work which was a certification in creative design and facilitation so i think i think it it has a lot to do with the facilitation work that i do for sure um yeah yeah um um yeah so happy to talk i'm happy to talk about that because i think so much of my work, you know, whether it's in the design thinking innovation space or it's in um, organizational improv or it's facilitating an ideation session for someone, there's a lot of like designing of group experiences, mm. you know? And so I'm doing kind of facilitation throughout all of those methods. You know, even if someone has not hired me to be a facilitator, I am in fact often facilitating things no matter what, you know? And so, um, so yes, yeah, so the creative design piece, I think it's really about, you know, how I design sessions, I try to always think about, okay, what are the learning objectives, you know, like what do we want people to like take away being better at or wanting to be better at. Um, and then there's also experience objectives, you know, like how do we want people to feel, you know, like what do we want people to like, what are, what are the descriptors we want people to describe about the experience itself, you know, um, learning aside, what did they experience in the room? And so I try to always um, design with both of those things in mind and kind of scope out with a client, you know, of course, like what, what are the um, uh, priority objectives in each, you know, like, do you want people to say they had fun? Do you want people to say that it was really meaningful and compelling, um, you know, because I can kind of design things and especially debriefs like toward, toward that experience. Yeah. Mm, okay. And, and when you are designing things like that, it, it feels like, you know, you, of course, there's so many different types of people um, that you'd be working with. And when I find myself working with people who are like-minded, it's really easy to open up, mm -hmm. think a little bit more expansively, get rid of uh, some of the logical limits that we place on ourselves. Uh -huh. But for others, it's really difficult. It doesn't come as naturally to them. Maybe they're a little bit more left-brain thinkers or logical, very strategic. Mm -hmm. And I had this um, conversation with a gal who was in, um, like, science and chemistry and stuff and her perspective was really unique and i'd love to hear your perspective on this of like when you are designing things for people who maybe are more on the logical strategic side and mm -hmm. have a hard time really breaking through mm -hmm. what is some stuff that you help them do to release and expand a little bit into that creative bubble sure well i want to start by saying um I am never not surprised by how willing people are to play and have fun. So I think like I often have my own expectations and assumptions, you know, uh, dashed. So well, I've done a couple of um, organizational improv sessions uh, at the Pentagon, actually. And uh, so you can imagine, like, it's a very buttoned up professional, like, you know, straight lace, you know, and I, I, one of the sessions I had there, there were actually soldiers or people in fatigues in my session. 
And I was like, oh my God, they're going to hate this. Like, I'm going to have to like, it's going to be like pulling teeth to get to, and I was, no, they freaking loved it. They were like so into it from like the first second, you know? And so, so I think there's something to be said about like not assuming too much about people that's kind of based on their profession or like on their profile. Cause I, I'm never not surprised by how quickly take, how people take to it, you know? And so, um, so there's that aspect, but there's also the aspect of how do I design for that? Because until I'm in a room, I don't really know you know, how people are going to respond, you know? And so I think I've always done a few things that put people at ease um, before an organiza organizational improv session. And one is that I, either in advance of the session or at the very start of the session, I make it really clear, again, you're not going to be acting, you know, I'm not going to make you perform in front of your colleagues, you know, they're going to be all working simultaneously and just focusing on what you're doing, you know, with whoever you're doing it with. There'll be no kind of ball watching, you know, like no one, no one watching you while they're waiting for their turn to go. I don't, I don't structure things like that, you know. Um, and so I think that puts people at ease immediately to know that they're not going to have to perform, you know. And um, um, I think another thing that I do is I try to not talk too much at the beginning. I, I, I kind of like, you know, introduce what we're there to do, what our goals are, and then I just have them start doing an activity. And I make sure the first one, one of my favorites to do, I kind of do this almost every session, is um, it's not even an exercise, just something that me and my teammates do before we go on stage. We do like an I got your back. Like we'll just pat each other on the back once and say, I got your back, I got your back, I got your back, I got your back. And it's just a really great way to like, go out on stage, just like knowing that you're going to be supported. You know, it's a reminder of like your team is there to support you and catch you if you're falling. And so that's one of my favorite things to do, no matter what, is just have a group do that. Um, because it's like entry level, it's not even an activity, you know, it, um, but people are instantly smiling and they're making eye contact. They're giggling for God knows why, you know, but they always are, you know, so it kind of sets this tone of like, we're in this together, you know? Um, and so I think that's one example of how I will open up a session, but, and there's other ways that I do it too, but I basically try to get to the doing as quickly as possible. So people can kind of like get loose and realize like, oh wait, this isn't scary. You know, this isn't what I was fearing it would be. Yeah, yeah it's so cool how um, something as simple as play and like really just getting like taking action in something, right? Because we're we're all sitting there waiting for something to happen and waiting for you maybe to say something. And then our brain starts to fill with all these like anxious thoughts maybe. And it's, I love how you approach it where you're like, let's just, you know, get into it real quick. You're very brief and then boom, let's, let's do something. Let's, let's show that we have um, each other's back. And I really love how you approach it in the, in the sense that, you know, nobody's going to be forced to perform um, mm -hmm. or be the only person doing something where they feel watched and pressured. Mm -hmm. and you're really putting them in a state where it's immediate comfort, where, where before maybe there were, at least for me, I know that this happens. I start to overthink and I'm like, ah, I, I'm not, this is like not my thing. Right. <laughs> and as soon as you get into it, you're, you forget about all of that stuff that you're thinking about before. And it then just becomes fun. And as soon as yeah. you're in that flow, play state, and you're just like laughing, all of those things sort of clear away. Mm -hmm. um, and it, Yeah, it, when I'm in those situations, it's like me as a facilitator, like my role is to create the conditions for you to do and feel X, Y, Z. You know, so that, that's what I'm there to do is to create those conditions. And, um, and like I, as, a, as an improv facilitator, like in companies, I'm like, I don't, 
I don't give a damn if you're good at improv. Like that is not why we're doing this. You know, I'm not training you to be good at improv, you know, like that's what I do with my teams after hours, you know? Um, so like, I don't, it's like, we're not going to do scenes. We're not going to do any of that stuff. You know, like that's not like the, that's like not, not like graduating to any level that is meaningful to you because yeah, you said it's not your thing. And it's like, oh yeah, like my job isn't to make like performing improv your thing. You know, my job is to make sure you um, have this really compelling experience and you have takeaways for how you can um, let it seep into your work and how you, how you work, you know, to improve it, you know? And so it's really about that drawing the line, the connective tissue between this activity, this improv activity and like, how does it relate to your work? Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. And it seems like you, help facilitate a lot of these workshops and a lot of the people in them um, are of leadership roles of some sort. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I would say, I mean, it really varies. So um, there's, there's something always um, uh, some leader in, in the room. You know, usually they're the one who like, you know, hired me. <laughs> so, um, um, but, but sometimes depending on like the size of the company and the scale, you know, sometimes they might want like this cohort to, to experience it because they're already a cohort going through something together. Um, whenever a client, like uh, a lot of times clients assume that it's better to have people like, okay, let's have just like this level of people do it together. And then this level of people do, do it together. And then like have the directors do it together. And I always push back on that. Cause I say there's a lot of value in having like a mixed composition, mixed position group, because how powerful is it to see like your CEO kind of like, fumble around with the same things that you're fumbling around with and how how excellent is it to like see your ceo be vulnerable in that way and like really model that behavior you know and so um also it's a great way to get like really honest vulnerable information like from from your staff you know like especially during the debriefs and all of that you know and so so yeah i definitely advocate um where, wherever it makes sense you know to do like a mixed mixed group setting mm -hmm. i love that you brought that up of how you really bringing these different, you know, levels, so to speak, together so that they can see each other doing the same thing. It really puts everybody at an equal playing field. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's so important, especially as a leader, like showing that, hey, you're human too. You know, mm -hmm. you're, you're able to um, you know, jive with everybody else in the same way. Do you find that when you are working with leaders, um, like what sort of the, the skills that most commonly pop up that you try and help them cultivate or make a little bit stronger? Yeah, I would say there's a lot to be said at the leadership level for how you are encouraging or discouraging your staff to bring their best ideas to you. So it goes back to like this yes and activity that I often do with people. And a, and a big, one of the many, many, many takeaways from that is you know, how you respond and react to someone's idea when they bring it to you um, really dictates if they're going to ever bring you another idea again, you know? So if you as a leader are like a habitual no person, like the second you bring something new to me, I'm like, nope, can't do it. You know, that person might have a million dollar idea the next time, but it's never going to bring it to you, right? And so it's really about like, uh, for leaders, it's about how do you accept offers? It's a phrase we use in improv. How do you accept offers in a way that ensures that your people are going to still bring you their best ideas, you know? And so that, that's a lot of like, um, I think from the leadership standpoint, and it comes up a lot. It's kind of like communicating your openness, you know, communicating that you're willing to make your idea our idea, you know, mm -hmm. and, and give that idea enough time to like prove itself if it's a good one to pursue or not a good one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
I I think that like with communicating so often, at least for me, I think of the verbiage, right? Mm. Like the way that I'm structuring my sentences or or how I'm saying something or the language that I'm using. I think also maybe even a bigger part of communication is the sensations or emotions that come before whatever spills out of your mouth. Mm. Um, And so in, in the sense of what you were just saying with how leadership or leaders in general can respond to people coming to them, whether it's with an idea, whether it's with a problem, whether it's with they just want to talk about something, maybe it's a pay raise, all of that stuff. What's your take on that communication aspect of it and and not so much the words themselves, but everything else that comes with it? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. So um, when I kind of like show people like the yes and mindset, you know, I, I always say like, you know, you don't, you don't actually have to say the words yes and, you know, like you don't, you don't have to ever say those words, you know, in this activity we're going to, but um, because honestly, like some people are so uncomfortable with it that they have to say the words, they have to say yes and to get themselves to actually have the mindset and have the approach, you know, and others can kind of bypass that and, and trust that like in spirit they are, actually yes anding someone you know and so i think it just depends on like what at what level your challenge is you know um with with doing that um like i remember one of uh the first sessions i ever did there was a man in the group who who couldn't say the words yes he could he just could not say it he's like i'm so uncomfortable just even saying the word yes you know and like and he like learned a lot about like why, you know, and like, um, and that it was going to be a valuable thing for him to like, get more comfortable with, you know, and so, um, yeah, yeah. And so I think when it comes to that, that communication piece, you know, I think it is, it can be in words for sure. If you need those really helpful, really great training wheels of saying the words, yes, and do it, you know. Um, um, but if you don't, you know, I think it's just how else can you communicate the mindset, the approach, like the follow through, you know, again, this idea of like, your idea becomes our idea. And it also is a sneaky ninja move for a leader because the second it becomes our idea, then guess what? You get to have some influence over it, right? You know, you get to like make what you think is like a terrible idea better, right? As you're trying to like validate whether it's a good idea or not, you know? And um, so, yeah, I think there's just a lot, a lot there in terms of um, openness and like showing yourself to be vulnerable as well. But also, you know, like, trust like trusting that what someone is bringing to you they're bringing to you for a good reason yeah 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 that's so great and then um thank you for sharing that and all of that advice time has flown by (laughs) and uh, i did not even realize but as a um parting question for you it's something that i always ask all of my guests is for one person listening if you could say anything to them what would that be Oh, I would say it's a risk if you do, and it's a risk if you don't. Mm, Beautiful. Thank you for that. And where can people find you? What new awesome things do you have going on? And where can people work with you and learn more about you and connect more importantly? Well, if you're interested in working with me, you can always go to mindhatchllc.com. My head is also on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Um, You can also follow me personally on Instagram at Bahal. Uh, and I also have a book coming out at the end of April, and it's titled I Quit, The Life-Affirming Joy of Giving Up. And uh, you can pre-order that now, but the website there is iquitbook.com. 
Amazing. And this episode, as soon as you're hearing it, it that book is live. So, so <laughs> it will be in the show notes. Go get it. Definitely connect with Kanoor and, uh, you know, just surround yourself with people like her and, and who want to make the world a better place and who want to make workplaces more enjoyable to be around and um, more functionally fit, we'll say. Yeah. That. yeah. Like Any <laughs> last parting words? Uh, I think just thank you so much for being here and chatting with me about the universe of creativity that it is. It's, yeah. it's a big one. Um, and so a key part of creativity, which is curiosity, right? So thank you so much for your generous curiosity about my work and um, what goes on in my brain. And uh, thank you so much for the conversation. This is really, really fulfilling. So thank you so much. Yeah. Of course. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Letting It All Hang Out. I sincerely hope that you enjoyed it and learned a thing or two. I definitely know that I did. And I'd love to hear thoughts and start a conversation with you. So feel free to send me a voice message right here on Anchor. Or you can message me on any of my social media platforms at Haley Kalani. Much love to you all. Until next time, stay well.